Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Gary, and welcome to the second season of It's Personal. Okay, good. This is going to be really dope, but I don't want any <laughs> Putting yourself out there as practitioners who are growing and learning. Not at all. My name is Kwame Mbalia. I'm an author. I'm Padma Venkatraman, the author of The Bird Home. Sure, yeah. My name is Natasha Diaz. Code switching and all those things. I mean, all of that. All the time. I mean, he's still on the road all the time, but you know, like as a new mom. The relationship that I have cultivated from there. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you. This is amazing. This is so fun. One of my favorite people online (laughs) to follow, honestly. I shouldn't Um, be. I tell people about all the time. I should not be. (laughs) There are a lot of other people you have to follow. Do not follow me. (laughs) <laughs> and, I, and a part of it is because obviously the work that you're doing but the other part of it is because like I think something we have in common is like sports um mm-hmm. and you tend to also post like real life stuff that's happening so yes beyond all the educational stuff you continue to be to be real online so I, I, nope. I do appreciate that absolutely absolutely yeah all right let's just get started here all right okay. all set all right. Uh, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. Uh, today I have, I always say I have a special guest, but today I'm like really excited. I'm going to spend some time with someone that I have been following for a little while. She had a little bit of a hiatus online for a while, I think, mainly because she just knows how to take care of herself. I, I'm not going to say too much because I'm going to allow her to introduce herself, but I'm really, really excited today. Um, Hi, everybody. Um, this is Shayna White calling from Atlanta, Georgia, or Metro Atlanta, Georgia. Gary reached out to me, uh, I think on Instagram actually, because uh, I liked his podcast with, uh, I think it was with President Pat, um, who I think is awesome. And I think Pernell Rip, you also had on the podcast too. And he asked, would I make myself available? And we're all quarantined in houses. Um, and I don't want to do schoolwork or make my students do any schoolwork. So might as well, might as well join you. I appreciate that too, because like, honestly, I think I know it's difficult for anyone, not just like in the educational world, but people just in general during this time to take time out of their day to do anything um, that's outside of family is hard. So um, I said it before, but I'll say it again, because I I really, truly do appreciate um, the time that I'm I'm taking up right now. Absolutely. Um, Shana, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm curious of just like how are things going right now at home home is interesting uh my husband has been working from home because his um job they close their offices until i think may um mm-hmm. he's a financial analyst so he can actually do all of his work online he basically looks at budgets and that kind of it's been interesting to watch my kids learn i remember even though i've taught K through 12, why I don't teach elementary school anymore because both of my children are in elementary school. He's trying to like download PDFs, like all the stuff that is like way above his like technology savviness. So I get all of a sudden a laptop brought on the bed at 7.30 in the morning. Mommy, can you help me with this? So trying to get them to be a little bit more independent with getting their work done. My daughter, she's a fifth grader, so she does well. We take walks every day um, that it's not raining in Atlanta. We had really bad storms last night. Um, so I'm actually really tired because my kids couldn't sleep. So I actually slept 
in the bed with him because the, I mean, we had tornadoes in like College Park. Like it was really bad storms that we had last night. But for the most part, like I tell people all the time when they reach out to me, like my kids are fed, they're healthy. Um, my husband's fed, he's healthy. Um, we have financial means to actually donate. So we've been donating things. I've been donating my time uh, to local food banks. So I think I'm privileged in this situation. And plus I'm a major introvert. So like this has been great because I don't really like adults in general. Personal. 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 So to be able to avoid adults like all day, because the ones at my school, a lot of them drove me up a wall, um, has been very, very helpful for me. Being at home with like my wife and mm -hmm. in front of a book, um, just mm -hmm. time to relax, um, yep. that I, I feel you. I totally understand uh, <laughs> how you feel. Shana, can you talk a little bit about just like the work that you do? Absolutely. Um, the first thing I always tell people that I actually am blessed because I'm a third generation educator. So I grew up with my mom was a teacher and my grandmother was a teacher. My grandmother taught in segregated schools in New Orleans. Um, my mom was one of the first black um, teachers. She taught math in uh, California. And then when she moved with my dad to um, Georgia, she was kind of one of the first. So I learned a lot about education from listening to their stories and how they navigated classrooms as black women and how they dealt with the pressures of, you know, we want you to be able to do this, this, and this, but then also keeping kids' humanity in mind at the same point. I think the big thing for me is I'm kind of, everyone calls me a unicorn because my first uh, job out of um, school, I actually finished my master's degree in health and physical education, but I got a job. I was a program director at a YMCA in Springfield, Illinois. So basically wow. I was in charge of all the programming for <laughs> the YMCA. And I did that because like, I had lived in Atlanta pretty much my whole life, except for when I went to college for undergrad. And I was like, I really need to like go see somewhere different. And Springfield, I was like, it's up north. It's maybe not as cold as Chicago, so I can might be able to tolerate it. And I did that for a year. I was dating my husband long distance at the time. And he was like wanting to be serious. So he's like, you need to move back to Atlanta if you really want this relationship to work. So I ended up getting a job at a local private school uh, to coach varsity basketball and teach health and PE there. And so that's what started my like teaching, officially teaching career. I've worked K through 12. I've worked public and private, affluent and low socioeconomic. So I've worked the whole gamut. And I think that that experience has helped me have a better perspective about what education really means. Right now, I work at a school that's in Metro Atlanta. It's called Sweetwater Middle School. It is one of the schools that actually got distinguished the past last year um, because our principal, he's a really good friend of mine. That's the reason I'm there. He recruited me to come. He basically has turned the school around in the sense of not in a white saviorism tip, but in the sense of like he actually got involved with the community and helped the community build the school itself internally. The school out of, we have um, 28 middle schools in Gwinnett County. So we have a very large district. Um, Sweetwater was ranked number nine out of all those schools. And we have 
at free and reduced lunch. We have 15 white kids in our building total out of sixth through eighth grade. Yep. And we have ELL population of about 45%. So the fact that basically all the number odds that we always talk about in education were not necessarily in our favor data wise, we superseded those goals. So I helped build, I'm helped building the STEAM program there. And I also teach computer science there. That is amazing coming from again like you said what where you started and then Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden you are you're the head of a lot of it like you're Mm -hmm. steering a lot of it which is amazing can you share a little bit about what did your schooling look like when you were younger elementary i actually behaved it was actually i had my first teacher ever was a black woman Um, her name was miss barnes in kindergarten she advocated for me to get tested for gifted. I was the first black kid in DeKalb County, um, which is a neighboring county in Metro Atlanta, to actually pass the gifted test as a kindergartner. So I was luckily placed in the gifted program because Ms. Barnes knew that for me as a black female, like she had to make sure that I had all opportunities possible. I was very compliant in elementary school, um, always did my work. I had no problems. My fifth grade teacher was my first uh, introduction. She was a STEAM or STEM teacher before STEAM actually existed. She taught us math through crocheting. Uh, We built model cars to learn about physics. She taught out of the box ways that now people are saying is innovative. She did that when I was in fifth grade. When I left fifth grade and I went to a school that was predominantly white, we had a program in DeKalb County where I grew up that was called M to M. It was a very controversial program. But basically the premise was to bus all the black kids to the white side of town to go to the white schools. And then the white kids were supposed to be bused to the black side of town. Well, of course, none of the white people came to the black side of town. So you had all these black kids going north to these other schools and nobody coming south. So the schools started to get an influx of more kids of color. Um, and I was a part of the one of the initial groups of this M to M program. When I got to middle school or junior high is what it was called when I was growing up. That was when more of the defiance came out um, in me. I would say that's when I really kind of became an advocate. I played practical jokes on my teachers. I would call out stuff that I saw my teachers doing that I didn't think was on the up and up. I forged a couple signatures on progress reports because back in the day, like the progress reports weren't electronic. They were like carbon copied. So I forged a couple Mm. progress reports because I was like, grades are stupid. Like I already know what we're talking about. Like why does it matter what my grade is? And a lot of times it would be very bad in the sense of I would have all A's, but I'd have using conduct. So I had a very smart mouth, probably starting in junior high. It continued in high school. I have friends that uh, I used to be on Facebook, but I deactivated my account a while back. But I used to have friends that they sent me messages and they were like, I remember you in like my ELA class. <laughs> and that was a class, the ELA class was the class that I would say, I don't want to say I struggled with, but it was the one that gave me the most tension. Um, all three of my language arts teachers in high school were hard nosed. Um, I had two black ladies and then I had one white woman. And the black lady that I had as a 10th grader, oh my gosh, I will never forget her. She um, used to get mad, but I would tell her, I said, can you explain to me, like, you call me a distraction in the class because I'm done with my work. And so I'm sitting here talking to whoever or doing whatever. And I said, but there are kids in the class that you're focusing your attention on me and the behavior problem. And there are kids in the class that don't understand the content. And so they're not even getting services. I said, so I'd rather you just kick me out of the class so that you can actually teach them. And so there would be multiple days in class that I would get kicked out of class, but it ultimately 
fulfilled my goal of helping my friends who were struggling and didn't understand what was going on. Um, I went to a public school. My 11th grade uh, or my 12th grade uh, ELA teacher hit me with a ruler twice um, because of my smart mouth. So I would say I was really like the quintessential great ideal student in elementary school and then I went kind of buck wild in junior high in high school and I've kind of been the same way ever since. <laughs> it seems like you like... figured out the system like really yes. early on yes yes i think it helps like i said having a mom as a teacher like i spent so many times in her classroom in her school building and there was just stuff that just didn't make sense to me and i was just kind of like why are we doing this like these kids are not getting what they need those kids are not getting what they need like i've already accomplished this like give me something else like the reason i'm distracting the class is because this is not like pushing me or challenging me so it's like you figure out the nuances of the system i think being the kid of a teacher but then also i think i was pretty insightful and i think a lot of teachers didn't like that about me and that's school, amazing especially. and then how did you said you i didn't i knew you loved and enjoyed basketball Mm -hmm. So my question is, how did basketball and not most recently, but you also mm -hmm. mentioned that you did weightlifting as well. Yes. So how did those two things happen then? Um, basketball happened. I actually started playing basketball like at eight um, and I played like travel ball through junior high and high school. Um, and then I got offered scholarships to a bunch of different schools. Um, the school I actually wanted to go to, my mom um, refused to let me go. Um, I'm still bitter about that to this day. Um, I wanted to go to Florida State. Uh, they'd offered me a full scholarship to play basketball there. Wow. And my mom said it wasn't an academic school enough to her liking. Um, and Florida State back in the, like for me, that would have been the late 90s. Um, that's like when Charlie Ward was there, like Florida State football was like a big deal. And the women's basketball program wasn't great, but the lady was there, her name was Mary Nell Metter. She was building something that I was like really liked. And there was a fine who I played AAU against that was down in South Georgia that she was going as well. So they wanted us to kind of come as a package deal because she was like a three and I was like a combo one, two guard. But my mom said no. So I was a little upset about that. I turned down the other offers that I had from a couple other schools, one from Georgia Tech, Georgia State, Furman. I ended up walking on at Wake Forest as an invited walk-on. Um, I went to Wake Forest. Uh, I played my first year. I was coming off a torn ACL. I played my entire senior year on a torn ACL because those injuries were not a big deal back in the day. So it was kind of like bandage yourself up and go back. So I played basketball. My I played all sports that I played on uh, my senior year. I played soccer, basketball, and uh, softball. But on a torn ACL, my basketball senior year. And then I went to Wake, so I was rehabbing. I wasn't really getting to play, which is great. So I was kind of like almost being like a manager because I, played because I was still rehabbing my knee. Um, but I got to be a part of the team. And I realized how much of a job it was in D1 uh, basketball. And I was like, this is not what I signed up for. Like, I need freedom. I need the ability to, like, not wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go do workouts. Like, not have required study hall time like I study when it works best for me. Um, so the restrictions, once again, me and restrictions don't really work out well. Um, and so I was like, I already got into the school on my own merit. Like I asked my mom permission um, if I could stop playing basketball. She said, do whatever you want to do. I stopped playing basketball and I just became a regular student, even though most of my friends were still athletes. As far as the lifting, that actually just happened by 
off chance, I was, I have a really good friend who, when I was working, I was in grad school, I worked at a YMCA as a trainer. And she, she was a really big power lifter, um, really strong lady. She only weighed like 120 pounds, but she could bench press like 220. She was like legit. And so she's like, I really feel like you have the frame to do powerlifting. And she kept like urging me, like, she just put bugs in my ear all the time. She's like, I know you're not a person that likes pushy people. So I'm just going to keep like suggesting it randomly miscellaneous times um, to get you interested. And then I finally, she finally talked me into uh, going for my first meet. My first meet, it was after, I think my son was like one and a half or two. Um, and I squatted like 250, I think I bench pressed like 140 and I deadlifted like 330. And everybody was like, those are your numbers for your first meet. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, you could be really, really good. And so I, there was a coach there. His name is Josh Rohr. Um, he was like, I want to be your coach. I was like, all right. His training facility is like down the street from my house. Uh, so I started working with him, refining technique or whatever. And then I got as hard far up till I think 2015 is when I stopped. Lifted at the Arnold Sports Festival, which is like one of the biggest events wow. in U.S. powerlifting. And I came in second in my weight class, which ranked me internationally. So I ended up being that year ranked 66 internationally um, across all weight classes for my lifts. And I, in that meet, I squatted uh, 350 benched 210 deadlifted 455 that's insane um yeah so like the growth that i had in the sport was very very quick and they were like because you're a natural athlete um but then like it takes a lot of time and commitment to do powerlifting and i was like i like my kids <laughs> i like my husband um i like teaching and so i was like i kind of need to put this on the back burner because i wanted to pursue some stuff in education um career-wise and so I lift every once in a while now, but not like competitively like I used to. Wow. It seems like you definitely like, and I'll go back to like your parents or just like your childhood. Mm -hmm. Like it seemed like whatever groundwork that was created allowed you to be um, able to know when to quit or when to keep going throughout life. Can you talk to me about how that groundwork kind of obviously influenced you and how you're starting, and I'm assuming this, um, how you're now using some of that work to influence your kids at home? My dad uh, was the biggest hero in my life. He passed away from cancer when I was a sophomore in high school. And I've never fully like recovered from that because he was my biggest cheerleader. He'd never missed any of the games that I ever participated in in my entire career uh, up until a week before he died. And he had Hodgkin's lymphoma. It came back, it went into remission before I was born. And it came back like aggressively, I want to say the December before he died. And then he passed away in February. So he had like a really short window of when we found out the cancer had come back to when he actually uh, lost his life. But he was a very resilient man. He actually worked for the CDC. He was one of the first black men in public health in Atlanta. And he was one of those people that kept telling me like, you can do really great things if you just watch your mouth. Like he just, he was one of those people that he was just like, the thing that's going to stop you is your attitude because you don't take mess from people and you don't tolerate crap from people. So he's like, you have to find ways to like mask that better to navigate things. And I still haven't, um, he, if he's looking, I know he's looking down on me now and he's probably like, she didn't listen to anything I said, <laughs> but I try uh, sometimes to mask how I'm feeling or whatever. But he said, 
I have the potential to do anything that I want. Um, and I've always believed that. And right before he died, he told me he was proud of me. And for him to tell at that point I was 15, I was going to turn 16 in May. He was proud of me. And I really felt like I hadn't done anything. I knew I had to prove him right. And that's what kind of pushes me um, each and every day. When my work with my family, with anything that I'm supporting other people is that like my father said he was proud of me. So I have to prove him right. Wow. Wow. Another yeah, strong like influence. Like I think that's mm -hmm. so amazing to continue to obviously have had have had that and now continue to hold on to that as well. And that's hard. Yes. It doesn't always work. It's not. It doesn't always work yeah. out that way for people. Um, so it's really nice it to hear that story. Um, tell me about your kids and how has it been? Two. Just two. Oh yeah, Just we two. stopped the boy and a girl. Boy and a girl. Boy and a girl. It was a wrap. Yes. <laughs> so how has it been raising them in? this world because obviously your world was a lot a lot different, different. in so yeah. many different ways um yeah what are you doing to to build that groundwork and what are the mm -hmm. the challenges with that um i would say parenting is probably the hardest job i've ever had in my entire life wow. um i would say marriage is the second hardest <laughs> and then everything else is after that mm -hmm. um and parenting is so unique because like the power you have to impact another person's life it's almost like teaching but it's your blood and so this is like the ancestry that you're going to leave behind as far as like are you a good person like do you look out for others all those facets of my life that i feel are important i want to make sure that my kids get because when i die i want them to continue to pass it on to their kids if they have them or at least to other people it's been very hard i will i will say like my daughter uh, she's a very, very tight B free spirit, very creative. Um, she'll come up to her room. I'm in her room now. She'll make slime. Um, she gets in Minecraft. She plays Roblox. She is a Sims person. Like she's into that world. She likes to draw. And that makes no sense to me, like none whatsoever. So like art is the one thing that I would say that God was like, yeah, we're not giving her any artistic talent or understanding. I have none. I tried instruments in school, whatever. It just, it was not me, but she does. She likes to dance. All these things are literally the exact opposite of me. Um, and so it stretches me as a parent because I have to learn to appreciate the things that she likes. Um, because it's important for bonding with your kid to show them that you like the things that they're interested in. And so I've made an effort to like try to play The Sims on my phone or find <laughs> games that she and I both can play together um, to kind of bridge that gap. Because for me as a like extreme type A, I don't get like stuff laying on the floor. Like I just drop this and I go and build slime in the bathroom five minutes later. Like what about what you just did? Five? Like that doesn't compute for me. So it's been, uh, it's been hard to adjust to like that type of mentality, but she's such a good kid. She's so conscientious. Um, she has such a good heart. Um, and she's probably the most compliant kid I've ever met in my entire life, wow. uh, which is literally, again, like I said, the exact opposite of me. So it's like, think of Shayna and then think of all the opposite traits. And that's what Kaylin is. She's not loud. She doesn't, she likes everybody. She thinks everybody's awesome. Like, just exact opposite of me. And Shana, um, how do you how do you 
how do you how does that work for you because i think do you struggle with watching that yes. sometimes yeah. i struggle that often um we actually had a conversation yesterday because we were walking the neighborhood and there is an elderly lady um that lives at the top of our neighborhood and she was walking down but she's kind of like quirky like she likes to tell random jokes like and just what and my daughter was like um can we walk later and i was like why and she's like that lady's over there. So I go back in. And so she's like, I said, she's like, well, I don't like talking to people. I said, but when I say that, you say that I'm mean. She goes, well, you don't like talking to anybody. I just don't like talking to certain people. So I'm like, okay, fair point. I get it. I don't like talking to anybody. You're correct. Um, so there's a lot of times we've had laughs about our differences because they are so polarized and it has been a struggle. There's a lot of times I have to rely on like patience and saying like, she's still a child. Like, even though she is mine, I still have to be patient uh, with her, but she never disobeys. She's never disrespectful. It's mm -hmm. just understanding how her mind works and it works completely different than mine. Uh, it's mm -hmm. required me to slow down and required me to be more intuitive as far as like trying to figure out things that she likes and she wants to do and making an effort to give her attention in those areas. Mm -hmm. I love that you're allowing it to happen. And I yes. think it's good for, I'm not a parent, but I love mm -hmm. hearing parents talk about how they're their influence is not to change them or to right. make them something else. It's right. just to like embrace who they are. And right. whenever those moments come where you feel your personality or your stuff is coming out in them, then right. you have that conversation. I think that's right. so, that's so powerful because yeah. the way things are now and how mm -hmm. parents are trying to mold kids into a specific mm -hmm. person or a specific yes. job is unbelievable i see it every Absolutely. every single day online and it's and it's dangerous too just because like i mean especially as teachers like our job is to make sure that we affirm all identities and so mm -hmm. even if the identity is not like mine and even if she's my own blood Mm -hmm. she still has to be affirmed and I still mm -hmm. have to understand and affirm that. And so, like I said, like God gave me her for a reason because it is teaching me patience. It is teaching me the ability to look outside of my own box and understand there are people mm -hmm. that don't operate like I do and function that way. And then he was fortunate enough to give me Micah who operates just like I do. He doesn't like people. <laughs> he can sit in a room and play video games all day and would not ask for anything. Very low maintenance. He's a very sweet kid too. Like he always wants to cuddle with his mom. He actually turned eight yesterday. So oh. we had a big birthday cell Happy quarantine birthday. celebration for him. Yeah. Um, but he's literally the exact same as me. So it's actually funny just to see my two kids' personalities and see so many similarities in my youngest Micah and see mm -hmm. so many differences in Kaylin. But then there are times that all of a sudden I see me thinking or saying something and Kaylin <laughs> says it. Or me thinking or saying something and Micah does the exact opposite. So there are always those times that that's what I said, parenting is a hard it. job. It always keeps you on your toes. I love it. And I love that they know so much about you that they can mm -hmm. even reference like, I'm not that way, but I know yes. you are. And for you yep. to be able to like accept that and have fun mm -hmm. with that, I think that is yep. I, I think that's so powerful and so yes. cool to hear. Um, mm -hmm. because it can truly change it's like a game changer for kids like to know that their parents are able to hear they're like you're listening you're yes. listening to them and you're truly understanding like yeah okay i get it i'm not right. you're not like me we're not we're right. not the same people which is mm -hmm. so cool do they have yeah. the, um, is the is your personality similar to your husband's personality no 
Um, in some ways, yes. We're both introverts. Like he, like we can literally be in the house at the same time and he'll be upstairs and I'll be downstairs and we don't even talk to each other. Yeah. And everybody's fine. Um, mm -hmm. He watches his shows, which don't make sense to me. I watch my shows that don't make sense to him. He is more compassionate and has way more empathy, empathy than I do, I believe. Um, and I think that he's way more considerate than I am. There are a lot of times that I can see when I just, when something sets me off, I'm just done. Whereas he continues to try to like to the deeper, like what's the problem so we can reconcile this and figure it out. So he's definitely more patient has way more empathy and more understanding especially situations and i think that's a product of his upbringing it's like he and i are polar opposites as far as our upbringing i like grew up in this stereotypically like cosby like home where i had both parents we were upper middle class i never wanted for anything etc whereas my husband he grew up his mom was addicted to drugs um he was raised by his grandmother he has three other siblings. They all have mm -hmm. different fathers. Mm -hmm. um, there were times he didn't know when he was gonna eat. Um, there were times he had to go find things to eat. Uh, he would take stuff from school um, because, so it's like, I have a lot more understanding of poverty from my marriage to him because when he describes his childhood like i understand how not only just traumatic that is but how life-altering that is um but to me to see him be so much more full of grace and empathy coming up from that upbringing like it seems like he would be more like me like selfish and just like mm -hmm. whatever but he's like the exact opposite he's like whatever i can do i'll give you my shirt off my back and my socks like mm -hmm. he's gonna go the extra mile and I just, that's a huge testament to who he is as a person. And I'm glad because I'm not like that. So it helps me stay grounded wow. big time. It's funny how God works, like to, mm -hmm. for him to send him to you, who's like, yes. again, like you said, opposite and comes from like this very much different background. Uh, and mm -hmm. you mentioned, you mentioned, uh, uh, <laughs> you'll be watching a show in one room and mm -hmm. he'll be watching a different show. That's like me and my wife are the exact really? same <laughs> way. Like she'll watch a show that I'm like, I just, I can't, like you I just have no right. I don't understand. And she'll do right. the she'll come out and she'll do the exact <laughs> same thing to me. Yep. So we I totally understand where you're coming from. Oh yeah. Shana, yeah, yeah. one more question for you. And okay. I think this is a little bit not off topic, but it's something that I think I would love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. Um what what do you think's gonna happen? Like I think with all of the COVID-19 and the way the state of the world is right now? Oh, wow. That's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> what I would like to happen um, is I would like literally education to be dismantled because of this and we start all over um, when the kids actually come back into our buildings across the world. Um, I'd really like the power structure and the hierarchy in education to change um, completely. Um, I would like the people that are sitting at the top to retire, resign, move forward and put more equity-minded, anti-racist, anti-biased people in those positions who can build the educational system back to where it should be. Um, because right now, as I tell people all the time, it's working as design. It was designed inequitably. So why would we expect it to operate any other way? Um, I was actually in the process today of writing a blog post um, and I was gonna title it Thoughts and Prayers, um, the Thoughts and Prayers of Educational Leadership, because that's how I feel like a lot of our districts are leading us right now. Um, whenever there's a, a shooting um, in the United States or um, some type of tragedy, um, you always see the Republicans, senators, and congressmen saying thoughts and prayers. And I feel like a lot of our educational leaders are doing the exact same thing. Um, not only with their time, their resources, their expectations they have for kids, their expectations they have for teachers. Um, and that disconnect is 
so problematic. Um, and so that's why I'm hoping that the inequities that we, you know, I know, other people that have been screaming this from the mountaintops for years have existed. Now they literally are glaring and you can't deny them anymore. You can't like shine them up with a polished new Chromebook. Um, you can't sit there and throw a new textbook at it and say it's going to be okay. Um, it's very, very glaring. Um, so I'm hoping that this leads to a revolution in education to where we literally dismantle the system that we have now um, and start all over again. Um, as far as society in general, um, I mean, I already told you I don't really like a lot of adults. Um, the, one of the ones I don't like is in the White House in the United States. Um, so I just, like I said, I, the, I just told, I actually told one of my friends, Ida Duleman, who teaches with me a few minutes ago, um, I told her that like, it's almost like his presidency has sucked the hope um, out of people. Um, because there are so many times that I feel like I've lost hope about things getting better when even my own kids are like, why is he acting like this? And I don't have like an explanation besides saying that he's a terrible person. Um, and it's so hard to like explain that to like now they're 11 and eight, but when he won, I mean, my daughter cried and was like, he doesn't like brown or black people. And I said, you're right. Like, I don't know what else to say. Um, so I'm hoping that like, especially because the in the South, there's a huge support for him. Um, I had teachers that I work with this year that support him at my school that I've had run-ins with. Um, I've had other teachers at other schools that have supported him that I've had run-ins with. Um, I just hope that the purpose of this is him being in charge is to reveal people's true colors. So everybody can't say, well, I didn't know that that was racist, or I didn't know that that was bigoted, or I didn't know that was xenophobic. Like he's given everybody basically the platform to stand on to show what they truly believe. Um, and I think that that is helpful because I'd rather know upfront where you stand then you smile in my face and then behind my back you're doing stuff to cut me down or people that look like me down or other people that are from marginalized groups um so to me that's the only like benefit of him being in office um it's been very revealing um it's also been very revealing in the faith community um because i've had lots of conversations at my church um with evangelicals that support this man and i'm like there's nothing biblical about anything that he's saying like please point me to the Bible verse that equates to putting children in cages. Like just point to it. Tell me where it mm -hmm. says it in the Bible. I would be more than happy to read it. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's also been hard because I've been wrestling with my faith through this uh, predicament of 45 being in office um, because I'm watching other people that I thought were true followers of Christ, not really being true followers of Christ. Um, and I tell people all the time, like I was talking to, I think Alex on Twitter the other day, and she said that there's like a, um, a principle in Judaism that talks about basically like you stop doing any of your religious customs or whatever, if somebody's life's in danger. So you pick someone's life over like customs and religious, like, you know, religion in general. And I was like, well, the thing is, Jesus told everybody, like, literally two things. He said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Mm -hmm. And we can't even do those two things. Mm -hmm. Like, he just gave us two things. Like, it would be different, like, if I'm trying to explain these directions to, like, a kindergartner, because I know herding kindergartners are like <laughs> cats. But he gave adults just two 
rules and those are it and we can't follow them. Um, and so that's the part that's just disheartening is to see that revelation in a lot of people that I thought were believers that really still don't get it. Um, that part has been hard, but I think that it's been, I've been appreciative because like, I think I would have never seen this if Hillary Clinton had won. I think a lot of times people, their true masks or their masks come off when there is a polarizing situation. And Donald Trump brought that polarizing situation to our country. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it helps people that are activists, people that are advocates, people that are trying to make organizing movements um, in all different sectors, because now you really know where people stand. Like mm -hmm. there is no middle of the road, whereas a lot of people got away with being in the middle of the road um, or tiptoeing the line. I know which side of the fence everybody's on now. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's plainly clear. Um, and so that's one of the things that I guess I'm kind of grateful for through this situation. After this, the whole COVID-19 passes, um, I mean, besides I wanting education to be different, I just want society to be different. Um, there's so many times like at night and even in the morning, I'm so terrified that I've brought two children in this world and this world sucks. Like, and I'm subjecting them to have to deal with the stupidity of adults. Um, and that's just very frustrating because I can't protect them all the time. Um, there have been numerous times where I've dealt with racial incidents with my kids at school, um, especially when I was working at a private school. And so it's one of those things where it's just kind of like, how can I make the world better so that it's less sucky for my kids? Like, that's what I think about all the time. And I think the same way about my students that I teach. How can I make the world less terrible for them? Um, and I think in the classroom for me, that is empowering them, but also listening to them. Because a lot of times people don't listen to their kids. Um, I let my kids talk to me all the time. Um, we will stop a lesson if we're having a conversation about what TikTok dance is like hot right now. We just do it. Um, and I think that kids appreciate that. That's why I know that they've reached out to me during this quarantine because they're like, Coach White actually like cared about us as people, not like what my performance was in her class. Um, and I think like that's just a huge thing is that sense of community. Um, it hurts right now that I don't get to see my kids, um, my students every single day, but I'm trying to pour that same energy into my own two kids um, since we're at home with them. Um, and I just hope that like this COVID thing just turns society around in general, that people become more selfless, um, that people start to think about others um, because there's always somebody who has it worse off than you. Um, and I just, a lot of times, I think a lot of people lose sight of that. They get kind of this myopic view or just tunnel vision about it's me, 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 or what I need to take care of. And there are times that you have to be selfish as it relates to your family, but there's so many times that you don't have to be. And I think people often choose to just be selfish just because it's the easiest thing to do, rather than like literally humbling yourselves and saying, how can I help somebody else? Mm -hmm. Like, how can I step into this gap? How can I step into this situation and be beneficial for somebody besides myself? Wow, and I, I, that's a great ending because I 100% agree with you. It's even though these things are like awful, awful things are happening. There's so much that we can learn from it. And if there's anything, anything that we can take away, at least look at the inequities that are like literally right in front of us. We're seeing it every single day. Um, and I want to thank you. You've been. I, I hate, I don't want to keep you any longer. Oh, I, it's I, okay. <laughs> I it's truly, okay. I appreciate your time so much. Um, I want, where can people find you? 
Um, on Twitter, I'm Shayna V. White, unless I'm taking a hiatus, uh, which I do. I don't, a lot of people I actually have noticed they like announce their like breaks. I don't do that. So I just you literally delete the app from my phone and then I'm just gone. So I'm really the master at ghosting on social media. Um, but you can find me on social media at Shayna V. White. Um, I also have a blog and a website that's just shaynavwhite.com. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I don't really remember my handle for Instagram, but I think it's Shayna V. White again. Uh, I don't think I've changed from that. Um, and the reason I tell people so that they know, because they're like, well, why did she put the V? It's like, I do that out of respect for my father, because my father passed away and that was my maiden name, Vidal. Um, uh. My dad was half Cuban. Um, and so I do that out of respect for him um, because I took my husband's name when we got married, but I wanted to always honor and respect my father um, because he always said he was proud of me. Um, so that's why I go by Shayna B. White, um, just to honor him um, in just anything that I do. I love that. Shayna, thank you so much. Um, that was just like fun conversation. Oh, Honestly, good. I think for me,